Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And this is going to be a really fun conversation today. I received communication from AESA, which is our national organization for service agencies across uh, the United States. Uh, And in the midst of a recent email that they sent out, they pointed me to a perspectives piece uh, that they posted where there was an article entitled, What Do We Really Know About the Teacher Shortage and What Can We Do? And in reading that article, I was fascinated. I, I really appreciated the degree to which there were details kind of fleshed out in the research that had gone into uh, really doing a deep dive on what is a pretty hot topic in education right now, which is teacher shortages and how to address those. And so uh, I reached out to Dr. Kay Shirtliff, who is the research and evaluation analyst at the Region 10 Education Service Center in Texas. And so that's uh, in the Dallas area and obviously a colleague of ours just uh, in another state here at that service agency level uh, and asked Kay if she'd join us for the pod and she is joining us today. And so we're so grateful to have her to share a little bit more on this topic. And so to start with, Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of, everybody's got a podcast right now, right? But not a lot of people have a good podcast <laughs> and you do. And, and even fewer people have a great podcast and you really do. So I'm excited to be here. Okay. Thank you so much. I, we spend a lot of time working on these and really do what we can to host great guests. And so it certainly is a tribute to the contributions from individuals like yourself who are willing to step into this space and share. So thank you for doing that. And for those that don't know you, could you give us a little bit of your backstory in education? Sure. I'm about to start my 35th year in education. The first 19 years were in the classroom and those were the best years and that's where the action really is. (laughs) And then when I came to the education service center in Texas, I was doing professional learning, mostly in language arts and in gifted and talented for teachers and loved that. And then just sort of morphed into more of a research evaluation role, which is what I'm doing now. And what would you say drew you to that research and evaluation aspect of education over time, right? Obviously, that was uh, something that you pursued. So I'm I'm just going to lean into that a little bit and ask that question. Yeah, that's a great question. I loved every second of being in the classroom. And I think you should never leave the classroom for a different job in education unless you miss it every single minute of your life. Mm. And that's very much where I am. I mean, there's not a day that I don't think about that. And as a teacher, you have this incredible curiosity and just a need to understand what it is that makes some kids so receptive and others not so receptive and what it is that makes some teachers really amazing rock star teachers and others not love it so much and even leave the profession. So as you know, my career continued, I got more interested in finding out why is this happening? So I pursued that route, but certainly not because I was tired of teaching or wanted out of the classroom or anything like that. Uh, Kay, you're speaking right to my heart. I, <laughs> I tell people all the time when they ask, do you miss it? I, every day. I absolutely love being in that role and doing the, the lesson design piece and then connecting with students and seeing how they experienced it and then mm-hmm. trying to tinker with things afterwards to make it even better the next time out. And I do love that all so much. And, and with you too, in that 
Oh, it breaks my heart then to see teachers leaving and to think that there is a present shortage and that the numbers really suggest that that might get worse before it gets better because it is such a rewarding profession, but it's, it's also hard. It is incredibly challenging too. And so uh, I guess, uh, and you alluded to it there a moment ago, talking about why you went down the research avenue towards topics like this in education, but specifically leading up to this article, uh, what was going on? Why was that front of mind and something you pursued? Well, everybody's talking about the teacher shortage, of course. And, and that was true before the pandemic and certainly has ramped up since then. And everybody was talking about it and conjecturing about why maybe that was happening and the political climate that we are all in currently sort of helped that debate or <laughs> kind of fueled the fire a little bit. Exactly, exactly. And so I wanted to know, well, what is it really? You know, and we're talking about it and everybody's complaining about it and everybody's talking about how terrible it is, but what is it really? How terrible is it really? Our service center publishes a magazine that we call Reach, where we talk about issues in education and we spotlight things that are happening around our area, which is about 120 some odd districts and charter schools and uh, private schools. So it's a big area. And, and we were talking about that and I got more and more curious about how bad is it really? And so I wanted to go down that path and look at it more closely and was encouraged by the leadership at our ESC to do that and find out a little bit more about it. And then there was a project in the works to help alleviate some of that. So we wanted research behind that to inform what we were thinking about doing and what we were planning to do and be sure that it really was going to address the real problem. And honestly, that is at the heart too of why I reached out because like you're describing, I was probably one of those, right? Where it's well, anecdotally, what my friends are telling me, right. what I like heard, what I have a sense about is maybe X and Y, but maybe it's not the full alphabet of factors, <laughs> I guess, to play off of right. that, uh, that, that influence this. And to what degree are each of those factors uh, weighing in is something that I was just really impressed with um, consideration that your article made for presenting those. And so I think maybe uh, to kick things off here then, I think the most straightforward question would be, say, why are teachers leaving? Um, there's, like you said, we all have an opinion about that. And it, you know, education is a funny field in that everybody has some experience in it. And so, you know, if you've ever slowed down in a school zone, you, you're pretty sure that you're an expert on education. So everybody's got, like you said, an anecdotal reason or they think they know. But what we know from research is that there are some broad categories that teachers are giving as to why they're leaving. And obviously the benefits and pay is always going to be one. And also stress, the stress of the job of teaching. That was true before the pandemic ever started. And it's only worse now that we've gone through the last couple of years that we've gone through. And between those two, stress and low pay, stress is the bigger problem. And that's, I was horrified and fascinated and hurt <laughs> to find out that 30% of the teachers who left their profession before they were eligible to retire, they chose jobs outside of education that didn't have health insurance or any retirement benefits over the stress of staying in a job that was causing them that much angst. So that's, that hurts. <laughs> 
all of us. And I don't pretend I'm, I'm not currently in the classroom, sadly, and I wasn't in the classroom for the worst of the pandemic and when we all had to pivot to remote learning. So I'm not going to pretend that I know what that stress was, but it is monumental to say the least and is causing lots of problems, but it's not the only problem. Right. And I, again, I'm going to go anecdotal here though. Okay. So I'm not take this all for what we will, but when you think of that stress and in my experience, I ended my time in the classroom, at least for the moment in the spring of 2020. <laughs> uh, oh my. So that was a very unceremonious exit to say the least. Mm-hmm. But I, I had felt even in the years leading up to that, that between email communication and the additional expectations and different building and district level initiatives, it just, it, there were a lot of things going on. And I, I wondered if then also the need to shift to the different learning scenarios of you know the pandemic and that looked different in different places i can see how people would be stressed <laughs> sure yeah exactly and some of the you know a lot of the research is pre pandemic so some of the startling statistics that we have about why teachers are leaving predates that. And it's, I mean, you know, I kind of shudder to think about what it will be like in 2023, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, then with that as the backdrop, I guess, as far as the the reasons or the why, what would you say then? Because I, I know that the article touched upon how many educators are leaving. And so what were some of the findings there? Um, it's everywhere from 25% to 50%, depending on the source and depending on the area of the country. You know, it's, it's a dire situation across the country, but in certain areas, it's a little bit more of a concern than others. Even just here in our area, we have a teacher job network where districts can post jobs if they if they choose to they don't they don't all use it some of them do some of them use their own and also ours and some of them use ours for only the highest need jobs when they really need to get the word out to a broader pool of applicants and so just looking at that our job postings increased 22 percent over the last year and that's overall so that's looking at about 120 districts And for some of those, they increased exponentially, like one district went from posting eight jobs in March of 21 to 110 jobs in March of 22. So, you know, it's 20%, 22% overall, but in some districts, it's 200%. And the NEA, National Education Association, says that 55% of teachers are planning to leave earlier than they would have when they started out their career, than, than they thought they were going to leave. The RAND Corporation, their estimate is closer to 25%. So that's a, a little more of a more conservative estimate, but it's still 25%. And that's still way, way too high. So a lot of teachers are leaving. And then also a lot of superintendents are leaving. There's one study that is estimating that 50% of the superintendents in the country are planning to leave within just the next few years. And I don't know how it is in, in your area, but around here, we had a mass exodus of superintendents. It just seemed like all at once. So it's definitely getting a lot of attention. 
Right. And there's so much institutional knowledge that goes with those. And we've had conversations on previous podcasts about when teachers become administrators and when teachers become like staff developers at a service agency or, right. or when they you know, leave the profession altogether, so often the bulk of what they've developed as their craft, like I say it all the time, the art of teaching is lost. And if you think back to, to the last two years, whether you were remote or you were in person wearing masks and trying to keep your distance from folks, um, there's been two, a kind of two-year window where there hasn't been a lot of, uh, I would say, collegial discourse informally <laughs> about right. what's going right. on in classrooms, those things you might pick up, uh, you know, while you're grabbing a drink at the soda machine, or I should say pop, pop machine I'm in Texas. <laughs> no, it's, it's all Coke here. Oh, that's right. Coke. <laughs> Even if it's Dr. Pepper, we say Coke. That's right. So <laughs> even if I'm at the Coke machine, uh, you know, I think that there's some of that too, that uh, I would um, a lot of the spontaneous sort of on the spot professional growth between and among teachers is lost because even when you're in person, you're having to keep your distance and things just don't feel the same. Right. And, and I have to think that that also plays a role here. I'm back to speculating. Okay. You got to keep me on, (laughs) but, but I would think that that would have an impact on culture, that that would have an impact on your feeling of belonging and feeling understood and recognized by your peers. And, and, and so I'm, I'm sure that that as Venn diagrams go, would be a circle that touches upon many circles. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's even before the pandemic um, studies that, that talk about the lack of respect that teachers feel contributing to their deciding to make a career change. And that certainly plays into it, you know, that the isolation from each other, that's your support group, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so when you don't have that, and then when we're in a situation as we are, a lot of people outside of education are weighing in on what they think should be done or how it should be handled or whether or not somebody should wear a mask or not wear one or require whatever that just takes the joy and the the ownership of teaching further out of the teacher's hands. And so certainly that adds to that feeling of being disrespected. Mm -hmm. And you'll appreciate this as a former English teacher too. I'm I'm ready for Hollywood to turn out another movie where it's a great educator. I feel like like there were those movies where, oh, captain, my captain, I'm standing on my desk and I'm ready. You know, I I loved those. But yeah, anymore, it just seems like it, it, most of the time they're portrayed even in pop culture uh, in, in an unfavorable light. And so I'm with you on those things. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I... Uh, and it wouldn't take much for Hollywood to do that. They could just take a, a camera crew and follow any given teacher in any given classroom and hide and watch. You know, there's so many phenomenal things happening in classrooms. It, but that's not what gets the uh, attention. Typically. Okay, I, yes, we did a live <laughs> show with Brandon Mowinkle. He is a principal that uh, is about an hour and a half from where I'm housed out of. Uh, and he I was telling me something good that happened this week. He had five phenomenal stories and you had to cut him off to get him to stop. And I go, where are these at in the media? This is incredible. This is so impressive. The things people are doing in the face of all the things that we're talking about today, all the stressors, exactly. all the responsibilities, all the shifts and changes. That is exactly right. And when the pandemic sort of first started, we would see those stories, right? We would see 
stories on the news of teachers standing at the front porch of students and looking in the front door and trying to teach them that way. And then gradually those stories, we saw fewer and fewer of those. They were still happening, probably to greater degree, but we stopped mm -hmm. seeing those and we started seeing stories that were focusing on other things. So. Right. And um, gosh, and I feel like I could kind of pursue that conversation for a minute. But I will say something else we were going to bring up in the midst of this that I forgot to allude to earlier, uh, that was your research pressed into where these shortages are sort of by uh, an educator's maybe place in the in the K-12 system, content areas, etc. I found that part to be really interesting. So could you give us some of the key takeaways that you found in looking into where these shortages are specifically? Sure. Um, we were, of course, obviously interested in shortages in Texas foremost, but it's not a lot different everywhere. <laughs> and Texas is not even considered in the top 10. I think Nebraska is number nine. We are. Yeah, that's exactly right. But it feels like, you know, we were shocked that we weren't in the top 10 because it feels like we are because <laughs> everybody's feeling it. But as has been the case for a long time, there's a big shortage in teachers who, who can teach English as a second language or bilingual or, you know, teach in a multilingual classroom. And that's only gotten more severe <clears throat> over the last few years. Career technical education is another high need area, special education, always a high need area also. Um, and then in Texas, mathematics is another big one. The shortage seems to be worse in high school than it is in middle school and worse in middle school or junior high than it is in elementary school, which I find that to be fascinating. And I would really like to know more about why that is. I, I'm just fascinated by that. I, I taught everything between six and 12. So I can't speak to elementary school. I'm frankly a little bit afraid of elementary children, but I, I, I don't know why it's worse in high school and elementary school. As always, schools in affluent areas have an easier time retaining teachers than those in lower SES areas. And in foreign language teachers, there seems to be a higher turnover rate. And not just teachers of in, in like bilingual programs or teachers of English learners, but teachers who are teaching other languages as electives or as what we call electives, you know, French, German, Mandarin, mm -hmm. um, a shortage in those areas too. It's funny. I, I also teased out that high school more than middle school, more than elementary mm -hmm. school in my <laughs> notes for today, because that also was staggering to me. And you wonder, uh, and I hear a third time anecdotally, but I have heard people talk about behaviors and the change that people have seen over time. And you can speculate a lot of reasons that I don't need to press into on the podcast for fear <laughs> of people having uh, strong, too strong opinions about those. But but, you know, I, I could potentially see that, that some kiddos, as they spent six months to two and a half years, almost, you're like outside of the classroom, depending on where you're at, that just getting back in the rhythms of, I've heard people say doing school was a real challenge that would be added to that stress level. Um, right, right, exactly. Just with, with everything happening. And, you know, I I've thought this was really curious also that, the net, like we said, teacher shortage, this is not a new phenomenon, 
it's gotten worse during the pandemic and it's changed a little bit during the pandemic. And in one of the ways that it's changed is that pandemic resignations differ by gender. So there were, I think, six different big school districts that were involved in this study in 2021. And the number of men who resigned decreased, but the number of women who resigned increased, which is flipped from pre-pandemic era. So that's another interesting angle that we don't know really yet why that is, or if that's just the beginning of a trend, or if that's a pandemic-specific phenomenon. That's a surprising and thought-provoking stat. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not really sure. I was very surprised by that. And then uh, still on the where the shortages are, early career teachers are the most likely to leave their teaching jobs within the first three years is when they're at the greatest risk of leaving, which is tragic. And that's, you know, if you think about, we all know teachers who haven't taught what we would think of as normal school year, mm-hmm. a non-pandemic school year. And that's a, that's a rough way to begin your career. We're maybe not as strong as we should be about offering support to those early career teachers because everybody's struggling. So it's difficult to lend support when you don't feel like you have enough of your own. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I think back, I was not thrilled about it at the time, but my program in college had you finish your four-year undergrad and start your student teaching as a master's like along with some master's oh, yeah? courses and you had to do two semesters worth of student teaching. And so we went for about six, seven weeks in the fall then took some courses uh, in the back half of that semester, you know, then got to load a little more time in to get those credits right. and then student taught for the pretty much the duration of the spring semester. And I had three cooperating teachers over the course of that time. And so when I walked into the classroom that first year, I mean, I had essentially been, you know, in three different, right. completely different settings. And mm-hmm. that's I, a I've nice, had that. solid foundation. Yes. And I hated it. It cost a lot of money. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, but I took my lumps and I learned a, a, a lot. And I really feel like it helped onboard me for that first year. I was much more prepared than I would have been otherwise. And so, you know, I, I share that to say that experience would have been dramatically different had that window of time fallen in the last two years. Exactly. And so what, what prep exactly. would I have had even to step into the 22, 23 school year here upcoming uh, would not have drawn on the same uh, and, and maybe stretch myself in technology in some other ways too. So I don't want to paint an entirely bleak picture of that, but classroom management and just the rhythms of the day to day would have been exactly. significantly different. Exactly. And teaching is the only profession where we expect first-year teachers to know everything there is to know on day one. And it's also the only profession, I think, where, you know, you've never, when you're starting your career as a teacher, you've never had the first day of school before, but then you've also never had the second day of school. You've also never had the last day before Thanksgiving break, and you've also never had the day before spring break. You know, everything for that first year is every day is a little bit different and it's a new sort of challenge 
in a new adventure is really what I, not always a challenge, but certainly a new adventure every single day. So that adds to that complication of why teachers might think about changing careers where it's a complicated profession to be in in the first place. (laughs) Right. Especially if you hold yourself to your ideal from day one, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so that that does make me wonder then kind of pivot maybe to a little bit more of the optimistic look to this. So why do teachers stay? Because a lot of folks have stayed. If we get back to that stat, that is concerning that 25% may or are in the process of leaving 75% are sticking around. So like, exactly, exactly. Uh, that, that exactly. you have found has helped with uh, keeping those <laughs> 75% and maybe growing that. Well, really the opposite of all the things that are causing them to leave. Right. I mean, it would be great to think, just give them all a raise and then everybody will stay. But it's, you know, it's like you have said before, they need more than just a jeans day, right? It's, yeah. um, it's, it's more than, than that, but that idea of feeling like their work is valued and that they are seen as professionals is integral. I mean, for all of us, right. But certainly for that, because you know, when you're in the classroom with kids every day, you know, what you're doing is important and teaching is absolutely the hardest, but also the most important job and the most fun job there is. And so, you know, because you can look down the road and see that future of the the student that you have and know this thing that's happening right now will have a good impact on this person later on. And so you keep going because you know that, but the problem comes when people from outside start looking in at what you're doing and making judgments. So when you don't feel like those people place value on what you're doing then it all changes. Even though you can see it for yourself, if you feel like you're not appreciated or decision makers don't put a lot of stock in your professionalism, then it's really hard to to keep yourself motivated. Yeah, absolutely. That was a conversation that we had just within our state and regionally, rather than your research, which has been obviously looking across the U.S., Our NDE seed team, which they work with educator effectiveness, uh, and we create our own standards for that here in Nebraska. Uh, We did a podcast on teacher recruitment and retention, and they they arrived at very similar conclusions with their work that if teachers can feel seen uh, and heard and that that voice is recognized, those are some of the underpinnings of what right. they are trying to do to bring about that sense of belonging and support. And then, then with that, and I, I just kind of gave the word away there too, that there's this, um, that we sometimes say support and development as if it's one thing when it actually is two very different things. And so people need to feel like you're there for them and the work that they're doing at the moment, but that you also like have the pieces to bring around them from outside of the building or from outside of their department exactly. or that, that, that pushes them, that allows them to grow in directions they see as uh, meaningful uh, towards right. the betterment of their work. So yeah, I, I love all of that. Yeah. And I also would say that you, you had a guest on your podcast talking about hope and the hope scale. And I was so absolutely intrigued by that. And have thought so much about what a huge difference that might make in teacher retention. And he talked about that a little bit too, I think, when he was on your show. And that, you know, things like that where it's not a real nebulous kind of, 
oh, let's just have a teacher appreciation week and let everyone wear jeans and give them breakfast. Mm -hmm. You know, those things are nice, but the way that your guest talked about measuring hope and doing concrete things to build up hope in teachers and students. I think that's maybe step one in all of this. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, Scott Butler, uh, who's a Project Harmony here in Omaha and has written on that topic. And I was in a conversation the other day with someone who was asking, is there anyone, you know, kind of regionally that might be able to come in and help, you know, be a speaker to a group of educators? And I said, Scott, I said, I think that hope message, there's a lot to that. Right. Uh, and uh, I'm glad you made that connection because I, I have also found myself wondering that too, especially if I was a building leader to say, uh, as Scott noted, that hope research, uh, as you're interviewing new candidates, find out what level of hope they right. bring and try to fill your building with folks that that's their shared perspective uh, of this exactly. work uh, and where their baseline as they're coming in. And I thought that was really a brilliant way to approach this and would advocate just along the lines that you're talking about as well. Uh, my fiance and I actually co-presented at a regional tech conference on, and we titled it what you shared because teachers need more than a jeans day. <laughs> and we had so much fun doing that and looking into some of the suggestions that we wanted to make, but we thought, wouldn't it be great if you could tie like a wellness goal to your, because typically, at least in, in my experience, it's been, so you have a building goal, which is what the entire, all of us are focused on together in terms of our development, right? right. As teachers, as a staff, and then you have your personal goal that you can choose, you know, something that you want to do to help you grow in your instructional practices. But what if you also had a wellness goal that would be tied into those same rhythms. So you wouldn't have to add a meeting. You wouldn't have to do anything different. But exactly. you could have these little check-ins. Like how would it change your evaluation, right? How would it change your reflection going into the, some of those different familiar rhythms of the year? And then with all that, and sorry, I'm getting on a little bit of a tangent here, but I love this. Like I would really advocate for it. What would it do to professional learning days where instead of maybe letting people out two hours early as a wellness practice, you could ask people to pick from a myriad of different sessions that would allow them to move their wellness goal forward, right? Whether it be through financial wellness or physical fitness or something that, exactly. that does help them just to feel better as a human and to feel seen. Right, I just right. all about that. Exactly. And, and we are, after all, in a profession about humanity, right? So our job is humankind. So we can't, we can't make it into something besides that. <laughs> and I don't mean to sound real touchy feely hippie or anything. And I'm, I'm not trying to disparage anyone who might be a hippie, <laughs> um, but you know, the idea, like he talked about with hope and some, some things like that, that's just, that's a very different way to look at it than just saying, feel good about yourself you know, dream big. Well, that, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean anything. And it, we, we say that to kids all the time and, you know, if you can dream it, you can become it. And that's not, that's not helpful. That's not productive at all. That's not, that's pie in the sky kind of talk. It's not really addressing the problem. So uh -huh. sorry, I'm the one who went on the tangent this time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preach though, okay? I'm with you. I, I think uh, there is a lot to that. You know, and I do like the encouragement when someone feels stressed to say that your best effort is enough. 
But on a day when I'm not just at my absolute bent, I, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> right. I, I can be better. I believe it. And it's part of what motivates me every day. And, and so, yeah, I can certainly support that. And so I, okay, so we've given a couple just uh, pointing to Scott's hope work, uh, shared a little bit about my heart with the wellness piece. What have you found in your research or what is going on maybe regionally for you all uh, that would be a application of, okay, we know all of this to be true. Uh, and there are folks that are out there doing the best they can to advocate for and put programs in place that will address this. Um, so yeah, help us maybe conceptualize some of those things that, that you've found in your research. First, I think a huge step that we can all take today is that we don't seem to be really talking to high school kids about their future as educators. I mean, there are, you know, occasionally future educator groups or clubs or things like that, but we're not in the same way that we are with, you know, careers in STEM or careers in whatever else. We're, we're not focusing on that as a viable, fulfilling career path. So that's a huge part of it. And then I, I don't mean to in any way disparage traditional four-year university programs four-ish, four-plus year <laughs> um, university programs where you do your coursework, student teach, and do all of it that way. Those are wonderful programs. And the research shows that people who go through those programs are more likely to stay in a job teaching. But given our circumstances, it might be time to think of some more, more, I don't want to say innovative, but a, a different way to go about it, some different paths. So alternative certification programs are certainly a viable way. And there's a trillion alternative certification programs. The problem is they're not all created equal. And so people who are interested in that need to be just very, very careful to do the homework and check out what the end result is going to be for them to go through an alternative certification program. Um, full disclosure, we have one here at Region 10 at our service center that is superb. <laughs> so I'm always going to tell everybody, go to that one. But they aren't all. And then, you know, if you're just looking for cost or you're just looking for how fast you can get through it you're not going to be as prepared as you are going to be if you go through something like what you described as, as your experience training to become a teacher. There have been some really interesting, when I, when I was researching for this article, I was looking for other ways to, you know, pathways to become a teacher that, you know, looking for things that other places had done. And I found some really great sounding programs. And then as I researched them and started trying to contact them, none of them were still in business or still operating. So that was discouraging, <laughs> but maybe it gives us a place to start. So some of those were, you know, starting with kids in high school and forming a relationship between the high school and the university so that they would, they were taking things in high school that would count toward an education degree, which is great. There wasn't always a follow-up with that. So kids started that program, but attrition was really high. Mm. And what we've just initiated here at our service center is a partnership between a university and then our alternative certification program. So there's a 
there's a university in the area that is offering a Bachelor of Applied Arts and Sciences degree that is tailored to this. So that's an online bachelor's degree, and the students can start immediately after they graduate. And in that degree, they take classes in things like leadership and database decision-making and organizational structure and things like that, that you might not even get in a, like if you went to a, to a traditional college of education to get a degree in education, you might not have a class in database decision-making. And again, I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just saying this is one of the good things about this degree. Well, um, so oh, once- you are well within your rights. If your title is research evaluation <laughs> analyst, you can certainly advocate for a course like that as part of a teacher preparation program. <laughs> Thank you. Got you. Everything Thank you. <laughs> lean into that, Kay. You're good. Um, so, I mean, it can take longer than that, but it's if they do everything, you know, if they go at a pretty nice clip, then they can finish it in two years. It doesn't have to be two years. And it's $10,000 or less to do that. So to get a bachelor's degree. And if they have any kind of dual credit already coming out of high school or AP test credit or anything like that, then they'll already have credit for some of those courses. Then following that, they go immediately into the alternative teacher prep program that we have here at our service center. So there's a partnership. So it's a seamless transition from one to the next. And they work with an academic advisor during their time at the university who ushers them into the alternative certification program. And then they immediately have a connection with a school. So they finish this two-year program, they start alternative certification And they can finish the required coursework for that for about $5,500. So the whole thing is affordable, which is the thing that keeps a lot of people from going into teaching. You know, they'll say, well, if I'm going to incur this student debt and all of this time, then I don't want a job where I'm going to make what a teacher makes. So that's unfortunately discouraging to some some people who would become educators. But this program is affordable and it makes it an easy transition. And then it has some other perks, which I think are really interesting and and have a lot of potential. So things like there's one school district that's working with their high school seniors who are interested in this program and they will hire them as a paraprofessional in the school as soon as they graduate from high school. So they're getting the culture of what it is to work in a school and paying into the retirement system and getting their bachelor degree and then starting the teacher prep program and being entrenched in a school the whole time. So that's a, I I think that's an amazing way to help somebody that might otherwise not have access to that sort of schooling and training, or they'll hire them as a bus driver and leave them free to do online coursework during the day, except for when they're running their routes. And so there's lots of great things like that happening in school districts that are interested in this. So there's the potential to have a pipeline between school district, university, teacher prep program back to the school district, which is where I think that a lot of people can get lost during the training period. You know, they might start out thinking they're going to become an educator and then something happens along the way or it gets 
just too expensive to go to, to school. Yeah. Wow. And that, that just really speaks to, I think, the importance of making sure that as we look to influence this growing concern in education, that we need to just make sure that we do this together and that it's not going to be something that one district at a time solves. It's not going to yes. be something that the service agencies alone solve or any you know decree from the department or, or any... It, it, it's going to take all of us and it's going to require different ways of thinking about what it means for us to usher folks along with the right, so again, support and development <laughs> along the way. Exactly. Uh, and, exactly. Uh, really being sensitive to, to their needs. And so I'm hearing that in everything that you're describing with that example. And I think that that's a great model of where our thinking needs to go. Uh, and I'm, I'm so thanks for sharing that. That's great to kind of have that piece near the end of our conversation here today, right? That we've not only just said, well, here's the issues, but here's actually some right. practical ways to go about addressing it. Right. And there are, there are other similar programs that are getting a foothold right now. I, I'm not as familiar with the others as I am obviously with this one, because it's right here um, where I'm located. But as you said, it's, you know, education is, it affects every single one of us and every bit of society at every layer. So we, we need to be working together to solve all of it <laughs> right? And, um, and making teachers understand or helping remind people that there's so much joy and fulfillment in education in, in being a professional educator and helping remind each other that, you know, we need to respect people who are doing that work and take a step back instead of finding all the things that we would do differently or all the solutions or those kinds of things. Anything that we can do to help that is going to help out the cause all the, all the more. Well, okay. Very uh, much in the theme that has run throughout this conversation about humanity and seeing people for that aspect within them and not, and not just for their job title. Uh, and so right, right. I am uh, incredibly grateful for your time. And you, know, you talk about the need for us to, to work together. Here we are working across state lines with service agencies, mm-hmm. which I always appreciate. Uh, and, you know, it, it takes folks doing work like you did in this article, right, to, to research, to really look into it, to present ideas and invite other people in. And whether that be through the written word, as it was here in this article, again, titled, what do we really know about the teacher shortage and what can we do, which is in the perspectives section of AESA's site uh, or on a podcast like the Good Life EDU, where we get a chance <laughs> to have these conversations exactly, as well. Exactly. And, uh, and to create, and we'll go full circle here, some stories and some dialogue that is positive, that is looking to the good in our profession and trying to not only shine a spotlight on that, but grow it. Uh, and so thank you so much for your contributions to all that. Uh, I was definitely inspired having read that piece and we'll put it in the show notes. So make sure that if you're listening in that you uh, access that article. And uh, Kay, any final words as we bring the I, podcast to a close? I just, I appreciate what you're doing so much. And I, I appreciate that you read all the way through the article. So that's a win for me. <laughs> oh, and I'm sure I'm not alone and would certainly encourage again, others to check it out. So uh, Kate, thank you so much for your time. Thanks to Region 10 for giving us a little bit of your uh, time today too to share out. And we'll be asking you to come back on the pod sometime in the future as the uh, opportunity comes up. Great. It's great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. 